Welcome to The Paulist, a daily comics analysis podcast. I'm Two Ply on Twitter at T-W-O-P-L-A-I, and you can also email me at that address on Gmail or find me on Tumblr. And every day I pick a comic book, I talk about it, I try to uh, integrate analysis from a variety of perspectives, and I invite you to dialogue with me, um, and you can find and review and share The Paulist on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. On Sundays and Mondays, we talk about superhero comics from the big two. On Tuesdays, we talk about a work from another publisher, um, like Image and Dark Horse and Boom, IDW. And on Wednesdays, I share my poll list. We touch on worldwide comics. On Thursdays, a throwback classic. And on Fridays, a family-friendly graphic novel, which is what today is all about. We're going to talk about the Babysitter's Club series from... uh, uh, by Raina Telgemeier, uh, adapted from the novels by Anne Martin, published by Graphics and Imprint of Scholastic. Um, and then on Saturdays, we talk about a small press comic, and that'll be tomorrow with Rachel Smith's Artificial Flowers from Avery Hill. Um, let's dig deep. Let's dig deep. But before we dig deep, I just want to uh, mention that um, I'm continuing this podcast, um, trying to do it daily. Uh, the goal in the near future is to record twice a week. Uh, rather than every day. Uh, It sucks too much time out of my schedule to try to do that and to really contain the episodes to 20 minutes, which means I got to learn to be concise, get to the point, be quick. Uh, Let me try to do that now. Um, The Babysitter's Club is um, a series that came out uh, uh, in the 2000s by Raina Telgemeier. And uh, Telgemeier had already been a cartoonist at this point, but this was before the publication of Smile, which I think really catapulted her into um, uh, the, the fame uh, that she enjoys now, the success that she's enjoyed now. Um, graphics uh, published, uh, I think they tasked her to adapt these novels that she had loved as a kid uh, by Anne Martin. Of course, it's those that series of The Babysitter's Club, and if you're my age or or um, around my age, you probably remember seeing those books all over libraries, all over your um, schools, you know, your, your friends. They would be reading, um, you know, the Boxcar Children or the Babysitter's Club or one of these kinds of series, uh, often targeted as an, as an, uh, for an audience of girls. But um, but not limited to girls, I should say. And, and I think one of the things I want to think about right now is whether these books are just for girls or just for boys and what it does to us when we decide that it should be just one way or another, whether on the end of being readers or on the end of being, um, you know, the book publishing companies who market, market these books. Um, but uh, I did not grow up reading the Babysitter's Club books, and I feel impoverished for that. Um, my wife, uh, when she was a kid, certainly did. And what happened was, um, as my daughter was growing up, I've mentioned before on this podcast, we read a ton of comics together, we read a ton of Peanuts together, we read really all kinds of things, and um, at some point, I was sort of hunting around looking for things that would be appealing to her to read. And um uh, of course, heard about Raina Telgemeier, and so I had read Smile. Um, I had read Drama, uh, which followed that, and um, I thought that they might be good beginning exposures uh, around the time that my daughter turned around um, four four years old. And um, it, it's it was definitely a little bit over her head in some ways, and maybe had some content that um, not mature, but you know, like more in the preteen zone uh, than uh, than a kid her age. Um, but there was an immediate, immediate attraction to these books, um, especially, you know, I started off kind of reading some parts of Smile to her, which really she really liked, and um, and then really went back and found these Babysitter Club books at, um, 
At the time, Scholastic was printing and reprinting them um, in their original form in sort of a um, large, uh, you know, tray. Uh, I'd say is, I guess, a, a, a sort of uh, typical uh, graphics format and size. Um, they were in black and white, and they were about the size of those original bone volumes um, that graphics had done so well with. And, and I think that made a lot of sense to them publication-wise. Recently, uh, in fact, this past year, they uh, republished the Babysitter's Club series, um, and they added uh, color to these black and white uh, comics. They're colored by Braden Lamb, and um, re reprinted them, uh, reprinted them at a slightly smaller size that I think is more reflective of, you know, where this market is right now, um, and looks a lot more like um, maybe the size of the kind of manga that you see in the rows and rows of shelves of the bookstores that are quickly disappearing across the country. Um, but the color looks uh, really great. Um, I think it heightens the work. So if I were buying copies of this for other people, which I do, we do, <laughs> to, to gift to um, my daughter's friends, uh, I'd be buying the color copies that uh, of the, the um, new printings that are just coming out now. Um, but to, to go back, um, I think... Uh, graphics approached Raina Telgemeier, you know, having seen some of her work about uh, adapting Anne Martin's novels uh, from, you know, around the time period when Raina and my wife and I were growing up and, you know, how, how hugely popular that series was. And so she said about it, and it's really interesting. There's some back matter in some of these books uh, where, you know, Raina shows that she went back, she reread the books, Gosh, what a thrill that must have been to revisit the the series of books that you loved as a kid, um, uh, growing up in San Francisco, as as she's you know described in, in in many of her autobiographical comics. Growing up in San Francisco, reading the Babysitters Club, going back to those old books, marking them up, imagining them in the in the um, graphic novel or the comics medium, uh, and then um, and then you know adapting the characters and i mean the the there's some updating going on but i don't think a ton <laughs> you know there's something about the quality of these graphic novels that they both seem like they could exist uh today or you know the first one came out i think in 2006 they 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 the fashion and the styles it just lands perfectly somewhere between 2006 and 1986. <laughs> it just kind of manages uh, to traverse both. Um, uh, that's my evaluation as an obviously fashion uh, ignorant person, <laughs> as anybody who's seen me walk around would know. But um, I don't know. I, I think that um, Reina did a heck of a job making, and I think this is my big point about this book, making a graphic novel that um, would take the love of a person of my generation, uh, you know, the, the kind of flashback recall of those stories that they, you know, spent Sunday afternoons reading as kids, and allow them to enjoy that experience with kids that they're raising now, kids that they've you know, given birth to and now are trying to expose to some of the, the media and the stories of their times. Um, uh, I think um, uh, there's, it's, it's a matter of the art style, it's a matter of the kind of tensions and conflicts that the characters go through that, um, yeah, I think in, uh, in, in the 80s when we were growing up as kids, there was a lot of, um, I wouldn't say boundary pushing, but definitely um, <laughs> ma mainstream middle 
boundary pushing um, in these stories. You know, you had four girls, and uh, one of them was uh, a Japanese American girl. Um, later on, and it doesn't happen in the graphic novels, but you know, Jesse comes along, who's a young black girl. Who there's um, some dealing with race in a in a very um, Cosby era kind of way, um, but. Um, I think that there's, uh, you know, in Anne Martin's novels, attention to the idea of, of different kinds of families, you know, heterogeneous family types, um, you know, um, p- parents of divorce or parents of, of, of um, loss, um, uh, Stacy's, uh, uh, sorry, Mary Ann's uh, father is, is, is a widower, um, and, uh, you know, just different kinds of family dynamics and teenage tensions that... Uh, I think a, an, a preteen can start to feel um, and, you know, makes sense to me. So we, we read the four Babysitter Club graphic novels, um, or one after the other. We devoured the first one that we read, which was Marianne Saves the Day. My daughter instantly fell in love with Marianne. Um, then we went back and read Christie's Great Idea, which was the first book, and then uh, The Truth About Stacy, which is the second book, and then Claudia and Mean Janine was the fourth book. Um, we went through and read all of them, uh, and then we reread them a million times. And one of the things that I would, you know, really thank Raina Telgemeier for is that she managed to make these characters and this story so appealing that this was one of the things that, uh, increasingly, as my daughter went from four to five, she began to read independently. Uh, actually, I'd say three and a half is when we started her on these. And so when we start, when we first started reading the Babysitters Club books. I read them to her, or my wife read them to her. By the time, uh, you know, we were picking up the color editions as they came out, she was sitting there for an hour by herself, devouring them by herself. And um, it's it's one of the things that's comics' gifts. And I remember as a kid um, benefiting from this gift of comics, which was that, you know, I, I think sometimes when people call comics a gateway to literacy, that's um, a little bit demeaning because it sort of suggests that comics themselves aren't literacy themselves. You know, it's like, you know, the hardcore reading is chapter books with fewer pictures. And uh, the kind of reading that you do with comics is um, uh, juvenile. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I guess I would challenge that assumption. But I also, but I think there is something to that um, this was a different kind of reading than some of her peers were doing. You know, uh, my daughter's peers were were reading some comics, but primarily they were reading um, picture books and children's storybooks. And trust me, we did we do plenty of that, and we did plenty of that with her. And the substance and language of those things is so rich. Uh, those things being children's <laughs> literature storybooks. Um, that was a, a part of her literary diet, her her language diet as a kid. But but these graphic novels were also a part of her language diet, her reading diet as a kid. And really, they spawned an in, in independence of reading because the interaction of, it, you know, it, it's not that they, it's not just that they had pictures. It, it's that they had pictures that depicted uh, sophisticated interactions. You know, there's a, there are panels in here and Telgemeier has a talent, a gift for paring it down to these um core gifts of comics that there are pan- there are panels in here that have three or four characters at once and the facial expressions of those three or four characters reflect different reactions and emotions that are partially a result of who those characters are their personalities but it's also also partially a result of the situation and so 
in one panel, my daughter is reading the faces of,、uh, you know, Christie's mother who's embarrassed, Christie's mother's boyfriend who is、uh, looking to Christie's mother to see, you know, to, to figure out his cues. And, Christie,、uh, and then、uh, Christie's soon to be younger brother who is,、um, you know, slightly embarrassed himself but in a different way. And then Christie who is being somewhat petulant, you know, and, and there's all kinds of emotions going on at once within one panel. And,、um, and my, And, and, you know, I think we take that relatively for granted as adult readers. But for a three and a half year old to look at that scene, survey what's going on emotionally and interactionally between multiple characters, and then to attach that to the dialogue that's in the word balloon that's coming out of Christie's mouth, where she is saying something, gave her, I think, a kind of awareness that um, uh, is important to reading. Because,、um, you know, I think. A lot of times, my, my, my friends who are parents will say, How is it that you got your kid to read so much so fast? And,、um, you know, part of it was that we read a lot with them, and part of it is that she sees us reading. And occasionally, we'd sit down and, and sort of parse some of the phonetic stuff that she's working through as she's trying to figure out why there's a K in front of the word night or whatever. You know, that's a. I think a small portion of it. But the main driver for her as a reader, as a young reader, was the desire to understand other people. You know, it's the fact that as tiny babies, we stare into our mothers and our caregivers' faces trying to read and interpret and understand their emotions and intentions at any given time. And comics, and so if you think of that as, you know, Us humans being these cultural and social animals that just want so much to relate and to identify with people and to know that we are loved and to feel safe and to have answers and to understand emotions and to express the emotions that we have. And so much of that conveyed through our faces and our body language. You can see why there's something about Raina Telgemeier's style that is just so attractive and appealing because, in the way that she、um, draws faces, Bodies conveys things through body language, and then in the sort of,、um, you know,、uh, for, for a kid like my daughter, the,、um, the ways that fashion communicates, the way that hairstyles start to communicate as a culturally embedded thing, the way that,、um, the, way that the, the, the characters try to both express themselves and sometimes to hide the things that they're expressing, you know, these nuances of, of personality.、Um, what Telgemeier's style does is there's, it's, it's extremely clean、uh, without being stiff. You know, the characters have this fluidity.、Um, some of her figures remind me of animators when they、uh, draw the, the, you know, in a lot of drawing books, how to draw books, they'll, they'll show you, you know, you can learn all this stuff about how body parts fit together like bones. But if everything is sort of a clunky bone without having a You know, a sort of poetic line, the dash of a brush across a page as it swirls. If that isn't forming part of the spine or the core of the figure of the character, then、um, it loses some of the poetry that we associate with、um, human motion. And, you know, Raina Telgemeier manages to retain that in her, in her line and in her figures that the characters,、um, you know, and they're all kind of skinnyish and, and long limbed, but, you know, they, they have that kind of fluidity and poetry that are sort of maximally good for expression, you know, maximally good for the shrug of the shoulders or the,、um, the uh, languid arm movement or the, you know, 
little kid gesturing toward the sky that express so much emotion and so much, um, uh, you know, so much reveal on the outside so much of what thinking might be going on on the inside. Um, and as a kid reads and tries to piece this all together, they are making sense of not just the story, but really the complex interplay of the social world. And that's, um, I think, I think Telgemeier manages to distill that so very well in her art. Um, I imagine that when she's reading Anne Martin, you know, what novels do for kids is they help kids to understand what's going on in a person's head. Maybe a person that's very, very different from them. Uh, my daughter right now has been reading a series of novels, uh, the Clementine series. I forget the author. I apologize. But this it's just a really fun series. And what's great about that series is Clementine is this uh, irascible kid who's probably got some sort of a, you know, some kinds of what us adult professionals would, you know, um, want to categorize as some sort of, you know, attention issues or whatever. Um, but really, she's, you, you see things and understand things from her perspective as she narrates them. And of course, it's sort of not pure what a kid would be thinking in their head, but it's, it is um, a kind of narration of what, where her thoughts are going. And then you see how adults around her and other kids around her react to her, what, they seem to see as you know insanity or or craziness or out of controlness and you and then you, but you get to understand how very very logical it is for clementine to think about and to be concerned about the things that she is uh thinking about and that's huge i think that's the power of novels is that we can sympathetically enter into someone else's consciousness and understand how they narrate events and how that narration of events uh is is a, a version of coming to terms and, and, and making sense of the world around you. But I think another way that you come to terms with and make sense of the world around you is that you observe, um, uh, again, what I was talking about before, the, the responses that multiple people in a situation have to something that somebody says or to some proposal that's uh, put out there. Christy says, hey, what if we do a club? And then you see the looks on their faces. You see that they're pondering because, you know, Cla Claudia's got her finger on her chin. You know, you, you see the sort of reservation when Dawn enters the picture and whether or not they're going to like having Dawn as a friend. And what happens when we break up the or expand the, the rule of the four, you know? Um, and all of that happens and takes place in this, in this graphic novel. And, um, you know, Raina both uses and teaches at the same time all these conventions that the the lines on the cheek represent embarrassment or what it means when your eyes get big versus like saucer pans versus when they're um, a, a uh, you know, sort of a, a half moon slant uh, and somebody is lost in joy or sadness or whatever. Um, I think, you know, my daughter is learning those, the meaning of those sort of semiotic expressions of, uh, you know, representations of of facial features she's learning them from peanuts of course but there's just sort of an expanded vocabulary in the babysitters club stuff that she is just really enjoying and as she's enjoying that she is also hungry to know what those words say just like a little kid who looks around and sees the laughter and the anger and the you know all of the things going on in people's faces around them is hungry to understand the meaning of the words that are coming out of their mouth that 
are part of this the patterns you know part of the interaction a kid is a baby is hungry to, to, to understand that and that's why there's such this amazing absorption of language for kids even if they don't speak very much they understand a whole lot because that's what our brains are wired to do and in a literary form in a literate form you know my my daughter is um not just browsing it to understand the pages to i mean to understand the faces and to to look at the pictures and the pretty colors although she's very into that but it all of it sort of makes the language uh which um you know uh i think reina does a pretty darn good job of selecting the bits of language from the novels that become the dialogue that you know allow the characters to really f become real um to really come alive um and uh, and so the dialogue is is really great characterization, um, moves the story forward, um, heightens the tensions and the conflicts, all the, all the things you want them to, to learn, you know, all the things that you want them to do. Um, and, and you can even see um, uh, in, in sort of subtle ways that um, uh, some of the things that um, Reyna leaves out and, and, you know, keeps in that are a bit of the updating. <laughs> I, actually, I don't know if this is a great example, but but this is even within ver uh, within uh, editions of this. Um, in one of the books, um, they, there's a scene where uh, Don, who is the new friend in town, who um, Marianne meets, uh, is in, is showing uh, Marianne her her home. It's an old house. Um, it's a colonial house there in Connecticut. And uh, there's a there's a page where Marianne comes in and says, "Oh wow, I'm looking at the old black and white edition actually that um, came out in 2007 of Marianne Saves the Day." And um, Marianne comes in and says, "Oh wow, I like your room, but the colonists must have been midgets." And um, Don replies, "Maybe." <laughs> and they, you know, it's 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 a very very innocent feeling uh, page. Uh, you know, they're just kind of exploring the size of the house. Uh, Marianne Saves the Day in this color edition that came out um, this past year. Same page, same image. Uh, Dawn, I'm trying to find it now. Um, Dawn is exploring, uh, sorry, Dawn is showing Marianne her home in the same way. And um, oof, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find this. Oh, wow, I like your room, but the colonists must have been tiny. <laughs> And Mary and Don says, uh, maybe. And uh, you could just see in the little sort of adjustment of, you know, hey, maybe we maybe we shouldn't um, uh, uh, insult little people by, uh, you know, throwing around the word midgets the way that that we do. Um, yeah, just this kind of sensitivity that evolves. And, you know, I, I think it's part of the teaching project of of these kind of children's books of understanding that there are subtly new norms that we um, we have learned as a culture society that we want to pay attention to when we expose kids to these stories and to these characters um, but uh, the color in the new editions um, is really well done it's um, I, I don't know if Braden Lamb colored um, the smile and drama books I think so but there's you know, very similar uh, resonance. It was kind of fun for us when these color editions came out to see that, you know, for a long time, Smile and Sisters and Drama had been dominating the graphic novel charts. And when we go to a kid's bookstore, there's tons of copies of them. They're prominently displayed. 
Um, but we felt like the Babysitter Club books were this little secret that because we, you know, could buy old things on Amazon had had picked up. But but to see the, these books now also populating the charts um, because of the the reprinted color editions, that was kind of exciting for us because we knew how meaningful they were for um, for our kid and the thought that she would grow up with other kids who um, were also enjoying these and enjoying these characters was. Um, was fun and and really actually the the big social bridge that it's been it hasn't just been the idea that my daughter likes them she gives them as presents for other kids that that read and and enjoy them and then they can talk about the characters and pretend they are the characters but it's also that um this has been this is a conversation bridge between my daughter and and her mom's friends who grew up reading the babysitters club who have some memory of claudia and the styles that they imagined that this stylish claudia um wore and um and how those styles contrast with what kids today and what reina has helped them to imagine about claudia's style um being a stylish kid you know all of these are things that i think um uh are part of the growing up and socialization process for uh, kids like my kid as they relate to uh, moms like her mom and <laughs> uh, moms like her mom's friends. Um, you know, the their dominance on the charts shows their broad appeal. I think um, another aspect of this that I'm not ignorant of is that my daughter is also, a, as a Chinese-American kid, um, you know, trying to make sense of her own identity. Uh, there's some like very subtle and, and brief discussion about the fact of Claudia being Japanese American. Uh, her her grandmother, who features prominently in the books and especially in Claudia and Mean Janine, is Japanese, and some of her linguistic and cultural um, experiences, you know, being a, a Japanese American, um, uh, you know, forgetting when she um, has an accident and and starts to struggle with her memory, forgetting some words in, in English and things like that, were just a very early touchstone for my daughter to experience uh, and make sense of what, you know, her her grandmother is experiencing and her, her actually both her, both her grandmothers experienced to some degree. Um, you know, we're not talking about um, a, a multicultural revolution here. We're sort of talking about a, a really subtle entree into um, the multiculturalism that um, is a fa fact and fabric of my daughter's daily life. Uh, so, so you know, I, I guess we supplement uh, or we, we, we join together this with a lot of other things that she reads. Um, in other words, I, I don't I'm not saying that the Babysitter's Club is a sufficient uh, diet for my daughter to understand the, the rainbow that is the world around her, especially here in um, California in the Bay Area. But it is a, um, a pretty rich tapestry, a good, as I said, as something in between uh, 1985 and 2005 that um, really helps my daughter to, to um, you know, understand the things that people go through that kid that kids go through uh it's been a, a, a facilitator a mediator to talk about things like um divorce or uh, loss um 
uh, to talk about things that actually maybe even more so tensions and conflicts between friends and how you resolve and express things uh, to your friends when you disagree about something because the babysitters club are for girls that are, are friends and they're different degrees of friends from you know lifelong friends to ones we just met they disagree about things they um, have jealousies and uh, you know different personalities and and different perspectives of the same conflicts and um, and I think um, a lot of the children's literature, the storybooks that she read, had conflicts, but they were conflicts that looked at children and their fits as kind of like, oh, isn't that cute? You have this little um, fit. Uh, or else was very sympathetic and understanding. And it was sort of like, oh, yes, we know that you lost this. And, and I know that makes you sad. Or we know you want this and you can't have it. And, you know, whatever. Or it was sort of storybooks that said, yes, these are the rules. And here's what you say yes to. And here's what you say no to. All those were good. We're not saying that those weren't, but what <laughs> what a comic like this helped my four-year-old to understand was to begin to understand the, that sometimes things are a little complicated, that sometimes one person feels one way about something and another person feels another way, and they're not all right or wrong, uh, that um, you know feelings are feelings, and we can own our feelings, and we can try to work through them together, and there's not necessarily a um, really, um, always, there's not always a really clear this person is wrong and this person is right, but sometimes somebody hurts you and they didn't mean to, or sometimes they, they did mean to, and, and then there's forgiveness and understanding that needs to come, but that there's different um, different reasons for why people do what they do. Um, as an example, in uh, Marianne Saves the Day, the, the, the four of them sort of almost break up, you know, <laughs> as, a, as a club because they disagree about who gets what jobs and, and who gets priority and what's fair and what's not. And, you know, you, you um, I think another thing of the graphic novel medium is that, you know, a, a trick that um, Anne Martin employed, uh, a literary trick, was to have each chapter narrated by a different member of the club so that you got to see from each kid's perspective. And I guess one of the things that you lose in the graphic novel medium is that you don't have that um, strong narration voice because the story is being told through the, the illustrations and not through a, a first-person narrator uh, necessarily, um, unless you use kind of the, the narrative caption boxes style of, of telling the story, which still, you know, the images have to speak um, for themselves in some ways. But... Um, but but I think what you gain from the graphic novel format is that, like I was saying before, you have bits at the beginning of each chapter where one of the members of the club will write about in the club journal, this is what I felt, this is what I saw, this is my perspective on it. But the, the comic um, lets you see, you know, a certain character sometimes for a certain chapter or multiple characters sometimes uh, at the same time from a certain chapter. And so the kid is, the, the kid who's reading is is balancing multiple perspective taking. You know, I know, I feel sympathetic with Marianne right now. I feel like she's right in this fight. But when I see Christie's reaction in the background to, you know, Marianne getting her, her word in, Christie's disappointed face in the background is something that I as a reader you know, um, extend sympathy toward her about. And so this fight is not just Stacy's perspective and this is what's wrong with all the other girls or this is what's wrong with Christy. Um, it's, um, 
it, yeah, it's possible to to see through Marianne's eyes and still see through Christie's eyes at that same moment. Um, yeah, I guess the last thing I want to bring up is that um, I didn't read the Babysitters Club as a kid uh, because I'm a boy, <laughs> and uh, we were given to understand that we were reading. Uh, uh, the Hardy Boys while the girls were reading Nancy Drew or whatever. Um, I was fortunate enough to um, be ignorant enough that I often um, crossed those boundaries without knowing it, not like I'm going to undertake a project of reading quote-unquote girl stuff, but just I would enjoy something and then find out later <laughs> that it was not supposed to be for me, just like the, the um, strawberry shortcake bike that I that I rode around in for half a year before somebody told me that's a girl's bike and I didn't know because I was um, a, um, an oblivious immigrant kid um, and, um, and I, I, I think a little bit about what I was missing as a kid because somebody told me and I listened that uh, I, I was supposed to play with G.I. Joe's and Transformers and not supposed to read the Babysitter's Club um, I think what I was missing was some uh, connection, um, some ways of expressing and articulating and, and grasping all of the kinds of social and interactional complexities, uh, emotional complexities that these books were trafficking in, uh, were leveraging. And those were things that I think as a kid I would have liked. Um, I don't think I would have... Um, needed to exclude those because I was so busy being a, a, a cop or a detective or a superhero and fighting crime and kicking butt, um, being Jackie Chan and d demolishing a uh, hundred enemies at once. I think I could have done both and I could have done with both. I could have, I could, it would have helped me to have both as a kid. And so it makes me think a little bit about what we're providing our kids, especially when we market and, and decide as parents or as, um, sponsors of literacy or as gatekeepers of literacy when we um start to decide this is for boys and this is for girls how we um segment uh what supposedly each gender wants uh and maybe foreclose what each gender needs or what really is shouldn't be gendered at all um the the babysitters club books bank on the richness of um interactions and attention to uh, and sensitivity to to one another's um, emotions and the the things that you need to build friendship. Uh, I hang around enough with little kids in preschools and in, and in elementary schools as an educator and stuff like that to know that um, yes, there may be tendencies. How much of that is nature and how much of that is nurture? I'm not here to um, to to provide a percentage, but I think there's a, something much healthier that we can be doing when we um, target media in terms of helping kids to process and grow in some of the things that I, that I was talking about today. So um, all that to say, I recommend the Babysitter's Club. And listen, if you're listening to this and you are in Europe and you are a you know 26-year-old uh, uh, male who uh, for some reason is listening to this episode uh, and you didn't cross yourself off the list of the intended audience, even though I said family-friendly graphic novel, and even though I said The Babysitter's Club, and even though I said Raina Telgemeier, um, good on you. Uh, maybe you're listening because yesterday you heard me talking about Todd McFarland for 50 minutes, and you, th you said, I want to listen to this, and uh, then you uh, sat, sat through this Babysitter's Club discussion. 
good on you. And and let me just say, I don't think you need a kid to enjoy these graphic novels. Um, so try one. I encourage you. Uh, try one. Uh, reach out to Reina and let her know. Um, I told the story before on this podcast in the past that, um, uh, you know, on Twitter and I think in an email or something like that, I, you know, my daughter and I reached out to, to Miss Telgemeier, let her know how much we appreciated her comics, um, had a chance sort of on a, uh, by luck and on a lark to meet her at an event that was for other um, other graphic novel uh, creators. Um, and she was just in, in a kind of off-duty, you know, off-her-guard, not-on-guard situation where I don't know if she anticipated that anybody would recognize her at this event. Uh, she was just extraordinarily kind with my over-enthusiastic daughter just running up to her and um, hugging her without uh, even really knowing her. And um, and she was extraordinarily kind. And so um, I, I, you know, I, I think that whatever that that basic human kindness um, is is reflected in the sensitivity with which I think she reads and then adapts um, Anne Martin's novels here. Um, certainly seen in um, in her own original works. Uh, they're all original, but you know, a smile and drama and sisters. Um, Randy Talgemeyer has a new graphic novel called Ghosts coming out. I think soon. I think September maybe um, from from graphics. I'm really excited about that. I can't wait to read it. I can't wait to read it with my daughter. There's, I think, a certain amount of. Uh, it's called Ghosts, uh, you know. And there's a certain amount of some degree of darkness. I guess I'm guessing. I haven't read it or or seen any previews, but from what she said, there's a little bit more. I think you know, reconciling with death, stuff like that. Um, Telgemeier has never been afraid to tackle in a in a way that's friendly for her young audiences and you know sometimes she draws these envisioning 14 year olds and it is 14 year olds but it's also 10 year olds and sometimes like i like i said four year olds um but she's not not been afraid to introduce some you know quote-unquote darker themes and i think that that is a gift again because it allows my daughter to um exorcise and exercise some of the anxieties that um the reality of, you know, for instance, her her, her mom, her grandma having a chronic illness, uh, it, it's there. It's in it's in her mind. It's in her consciousness. Um, the thought of death, the thought of loss, does keep my daughter um, awake at night sometimes. All of us as kids, and as Maurice Sendak, you know, so wisely understood um, that where the wild things are exists in in the in the child's mind, imagination, heart, and consciousness. And literature has a way of helping us to face those things and to um to live another day um, with joy and zeal and zest and um i think I, I don't know i haven't read ghosts yet and uh but i think it, it i think ghosts will as well um i think the babysitters club did for certain subjects for my kid um and they might for yours so <laughs> so that's it um i started off this episode talking about the discipline of keeping this at 20 30 minutes i'm approaching 38 39. Uh, so I'm still working on this. Um, tomorrow, Artificial Flowers, an Avery Hill graphic novel by Rachel Smith. I think I might have said earlier this week, Rachel Scott, and I'm sorry for that. Um, the creator is Rachel Smith, and she's she's really great. Then um, 
Sunday, we return to our Sunday super friend. And I'm going to just hint now that I think what I'm going to do is to do maybe not a full week, but a series that still covers a, a, you know, a DC, a Marvel, a trade, you know, an image trade, and then a worldwide comic and so forth. I'm going to do a series on the artist Sonny Liu. Um, Dr. Fate number 15 came out this week. Um, somehow in the solicits and in the, on the cover, it says that Ibrahim Mustafa is the artist. Ibrahim Mustafa is great. I love High Crimes. I love his work. He's done some Dr. Fate issues, but inside the art is indeed by Sonny Liu. And, um, you know, don't you forget it. Um, I, I think it's just, I know this wasn't DC editorial or certainly not somebody like Paul Levitz's plan, um, that uh, Sonny Liu should be uncredited on the cover of a comic that he clearly draws on the inside and has drawn throughout. But um, but just the irony that he should be made invisible in light of some of the work that he's done, the landmark graphic novel, um, Art of Charlie Chan, Hawk Chai, which I'll also be talking about next week. Um, anyway, that'll be coming up. I'm going to be talking about Sonny Liu. But um, yeah, this has been... Um, the Paul List. This has been the Babysitters Club graphic novels by Raina Telgemeier um, and N.M. Martin from Graphics. And uh, thanks for listening, and, and please keep reading. Let's keep going, all right? 